Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. I am alongside Kirk Reed today. This is, I think, the first time I've uh, I've uh, hosted a WCAP show without the old man. So welcome, Kirk. How are you doing? I am well. Good morning and happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you. We are... Uh... We now now I, I should point out that you are uh, you've because we we run two shows. You, this will be your 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 third and fourth hours of radio this morning. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, just coming uh, coming off uh, the eight to ten slot uh, down here in Marshfield. So I'm. Um that's okay. I got plenty of gas left in the tank. Yeah, we so we 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 flip flop our shows on WCAP and WATD, and Kirk was kind enough to to jump in here. Michael is on his way to uh, to sunny Florida via car this morning, so uh, he's he's normally up here live on CAP with us, but uh, not today. So okay, we have, we have I think what we have a, a pretty good show here today. Uh, we are going to do kind of a recap of what happened in 2020 and then we're going to move into some you know what what should you do now uh kind of some you know not not new year we're not going to call it new year's resolutions but we'll uh, we'll do what should you do now the new year is always a good time to revisit things and we'll talk about uh, what you want to do from maybe a, from a portfolio point of view and uh from a financial planning point of view so uh, i think uh, i think we can get two hours out of that anyway so first of all i haven't talked to you in a while first off let's let's talk uh just just quickly on Cleveland, uh, it was an up and down week for Cleveland. Uh, we have we have Browns in the playoffs for the first time in a long time, and uh, and what and Francisco Lindor traded. All was that all in one week for you? Yeah. So well, wow. This is okay. This is a different kind of show up here. Okay. Well, we're just we're we're more we're more casual maybe up on WCAP. <laughs> yes. The, uh, so the Brown, you know, just you know, pretty typical Browns fashion. You know, they make the playoffs first time in what? Yeah, eighteen years. And then yeah. the head coach gets uh, put on the COVID list. So oh, that's right. I uh, forgot about that. So there. So no no head coach. Um, <laughs> and then a couple players that are going to be out also that are you know going to yeah. be unavailable because of the virus, uh, which is pretty standard issue when it comes to Cleveland. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. I'm sorry. I brought up a source. Seven. I thought it, yeah, it was all, it was all happy. Uh, you know, last weekend when they, when they made the playoffs, and but. they haven't been able to practice either. Like they're not allowed <laughs> to practice. So they haven't practiced in like a week. And so they'll, they'll be, they'll yeah. look good. We'll be looking pretty sharp tomorrow night. Hey, we get well. Hey, we, we can zoom our show, right? Maybe they can zoom their practices. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, and then Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland uh, traded uh, their best player. Uh, yep. For well, basically for basically nothing, and um, that's so again, pretty. That's, that's, that's pretty standard uh, when it comes standard. to Cleveland sports. Yeah, they can't. Uh, All right. They can't afford to pay anybody. Well, tie goes to Villanova basketball. Maybe I guess. Well, it wasn't a tie, but you still have. Uh, you still have. You still have Nova. Anyway. Uh, right, all right. They're number three. Number three this year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, if you have any questions uh, about anything today, anything that we're chatting about or really anything else, we're live up in the Merrimack Valley. Uh, give us a ring. Telephone number is 978-454-4980. It's 978-454-4980. Uh, we do, you know, if you, if you would like to submit an online question, uh, we can't manage to get that email up and running currently during the show, but uh, you can certainly submit a question that we'll answer uh, on a later show. Uh, or we can get back to you individually. Occasionally, we'll have folks just reach out to us for with with questions, uh, and that uh, that email is questions at McNamara on money dot com. Again, questions at McNamara on money dot com. All right. So, and so you, guys, you guys, you guys run. Uh, do you guys run a podcast also for that for the sh- for the show? I think it's all. I, I don't. I don't think we separate it out. I think all. I thought. I was pretty sure all of our podcasts were. Uh, we're McNamara on Money podcasts now. Generically, we, I, we don't do anything separately up here because, uh, well, it's all sort of it's all sort of one show, even though we flip flop it uh, week by week as far as where it's broadcasting. Uh, okay, all right. So I, you know, I think I, I'd, I'd probably like to start with kind of a year in in review and and where we are heading into 2020. Uh, now that the year is over, uh, I have a I have a little chart here and which I'll refer to. I'll I'll try to go briefly through these charts because I know that numbers are are can be difficult on the radio, uh, but. Uh, so the 2020 return for the U.S. stock market, which which we'll define as the S&P 500, was uh, I would say a, a pretty you know a, a whopping and maybe you know that's a, that would be a Mike word uh, a, a fairly surprising 18.2 percent uh, over the course of the year. So I mean that's that's a good return by uh, by any measure, right? I mean if especially if you look at longer term. U.S. stock market returns, you know, that number is changing all the time, but we'll call it somewhere around 10% per year for the S&P 500. Uh, anytime you're up in the 18.2 range, uh, that's obviously a nice return. And, and I think certainly surprising given the fact uh, that we are, uh, that we, in 2020, we started and remain uh, in a global pandemic. I mean, when back in, you know, so it's it's amazing that it's been almost a year, you know, since since all this stuff kind of started. Yeah. And you know, so February, you know, February was when the market started to go down, uh, and then and into March uh, before it started to recover. I mean, yep. so you just, <laughs> I mean, to me, just kind of, yeah. I mean, nonchalantly, yeah. S and P earned eighteen percent last year, but it, but but at a certain point in time, it was down like. 30%, right? From, yeah. from, from the top. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think it was about 34 was the number and that's, that's from memory. So don't hold me to that one, but you know, we're talking about a, a substantial, and I, and I actually do have our, you know, the next chart on my outline here has a, you know, it'll be a comp between what happened in the first quarter and then what happened, you know, for the remaining nine months of the year. Right. So, you know, anyone who we talked to in April of this year, if we're talking to our clients, you know, I, I'm not sure how many people would have believed us, you know, if we had the uh, if we had our crystal ball and could have told them that, oh, hey, don't worry, the U.S. stock market's going to be up 18 percent this year, right? Because it started off, you know, it, with a with a pretty precipitous decline. It, it it was it was up early in the year, uh, and it fell a bunch, and now we've sort of completely recovered, uh, and then some, obviously. Um, I mean, it was historical, right? I mean, as far as yeah, I mean, both both the both the downside and the upside were, you know, historical as far as the you know the the quickness uh, yes. in which which they happened. I mean, it went it went down very quickly, which is which is very very scary when that happens. Um, yeah. But the the you know the the recapture or the the recovery was you know was you know equally as quick, uh, at least from historical measures. Yeah. Uh, and we, and- we talked about that, you know, on recent shows, and I think, you know, it was the down was obviously 
was particularly quick. But I think the fact that the recovery came so quick was probably easier on folks, right? I mean, you know, granted, we still had the pandemic going on, but I think a lot of a lot of our clients, anyways, and I'm you know I won't speak for everybody, uh, but you know, part of the part of the hard part of investing is seeing those monthly statements and seeing the, Oh, it went down again. Oh, it went down again. Oh, it went down again. Right. I mean, if you think of a bear market, like, you know, I know, I know we weren't, uh, in the business yet, but back in 2000, when I was sort of tangentially involved at McNamara financial working in the summers, you had literally years of declining balances on, on your statement, which you know can just can grind on you. Even if it's, even if the numbers were relatively small compared to a one month, you know, like a one, you know, a one month decline of 35%, um, that's just, that wears down on you. And that just didn't really happen this time, right? It was, oh, the market's down. I got one lousy statement. And then the next time it's, oh, it's better. And now it's better and better and better, better. So, so uh, I guess from a psychological point of view, I guess we would prefer quicker, quicker to longer, but um, you know, let's, let's do a few more numbers there. There are a few interesting things, you know, sort of particularly interesting. Um, The Russell 1000 is, is the, you know, the the 1000 largest companies in, uh, in the United States and in us, you know, <laughs> are you working at home? Yes. Yeah. So are, are you subject to being interrupted like I am? We should mention that we are both, <laughs> we're both zooming. And if you can hear, uh, I have an old, a crazy old dog pawing at my door. So if there's a little background noise, you, your, your listeners out there, you're subject to, you, you may be hearing a, a child from time to time, perhaps a dog barking. So I had, I had a couple of children uh, down here <laughs> earlier, but they seem to have vacated yeah. uh, where they went. I think everyone is is used to it by now with, with yeah. the way we've been living for the last nine months. But just full disclosure: if you hear any if you hear any funky noises, it's not, you know, it's not uh, it's not Cindy it's, eating. It's not us. It's not us. Know, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So the Russell 1000, uh, which is you know essentially just the you know the lar- the thousand largest U.S. Uh, companies in America, that also had a great year. It was up about twenty percent. Um, it's it's been a very interesting split between growth and value. Now, now quickly, growth and value. This is this is sort of a tech. We, it's this technical investment stuff here. But um, when we look at baskets of stocks, uh, the the folks who who do this type of analysis have decided that they would break up stocks into uh, into valuations based on sort of their earnings multiples, right? So you know, growth is fast growing companies. Right. Or, or at least that's sort of they're, they're defined as having higher price to earnings ratios. Right. So what the, what we do is we 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 take a look at the universe of stocks and we say, all right, well, you know, these stocks uh, have earnings of this amount and their price is this. And we do a little we do a little division. It's called the price earnings ratio. And we can and we sort of spread out the entire university universe of stocks based on where, you know, based on how that ratio um, looks for each individual stocks and, and growth stocks are the ones where you pay more for a dollar of earnings and value stocks are, are stocks that where, where the price is lower for an equivalent uh, dollar of earnings. And the, the difference in the performance this year for the, so the Russell 1000 value is at, had a 2.7% return for 2020, whereas the Russell 1000 growth, which is the growth, you know, the, the growth stock side of that had a 38% return. And obviously the, you know, the, it averages out and that's where you get your, your 20.8%. So, so the difference between growth and value, in other words, you know, sort of high, higher cost stocks from a price to earnings, uh, multiple point of view and lower cost stocks has been, the, the gap has been absolutely enormous. Um, it's, I, I really don't, I pointed out only as just as sort of something to make note of. I, I don't know that there's particular, you know, any particular uh, investment opportunity out there, but it, but it has been a strange year. And, and a lot of it is, is driven by the technology performance that we've seen. Right. So, so most technology stocks have a, what would be called growth companies and, uh, and technology has done particularly well and it has really pushed the market. And so I just, I just, I'd throw that one out there as a, as a point of interest. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, and I think, um, I mean, I'm sure this is something you guys talk about all the time on the, on the show, uh, as we as we talk about it in our business and to our clients, and that 
you know, you know, in any given year, you know, go, looking forward, you never know, you know, who's going to be the best, you know, performing, yeah. you know, uh, sector or asset class. And so that, I mean, that's a great example of why you don't want to put all your eggs in, you know, right. the growth basket or the value basket, because, you know, you could be, you could be, you could be wrong. Uh, and, you know, buying kind of buying everything or a little bit of a, a little bit of both kind of hedges your bets. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of portfolios will have both for just that reason. Uh, you know, we'll talk about rebalancing later in the show. And so, you know, may, you know, it's when you have returns that, are you know sort of distributed as widely as that? A lot of times, it's a a potential opportunity for for rebalancing to uh, to work, right? I mean, if you if if your portfolio just was purely growth and value stocks, you know, large cap growth and value, which you know hopefully it isn't, but um, if you if you had that portfolio, you would have you know and started the year with a 50-50 mix, you would now have a you know a drastically different mix than 50-50, right? Your growth stocks would have you know are up almost 40%, and your value stocks are roughly where they were. So you probably you know you would probably then want to rebalance that portfolio because that's that's sort of just what you do, and and that's how you uh, that's how you that's how you maintain your strategy. So we'll talk more on that later in the show, but uh, let me go through just a few more numbers here. Uh, the Russell Russell 2000 is how we define sort of smaller companies. It's the next 2000 uh, companies based on size uh, in the United States. And uh, that was about 20% uh, for the year. So a great year for that. Uh, the one, I think actually the one, oh, there's a few negatives on this chart. So it was mostly a good year across the, uh, across the board for most asset classes. Uh, the exception was uh, REITs, so real estate investment trusts. Uh, we had a, a negative 4.8% return uh, for REITs for 2020. That's, and that's just sort of for obvious reasons, right? I mean, you know, real estate is, uh, as uh, as the world sort of transitioned to uh, to being able to work from home, uh, I think the value of particularly certain type certain types of real estate has has obviously fallen pretty precipitously, right? So if you know you're talking about you know big big office buildings in in bigger cities, you know, what's the value of those really now? And you know in a world where we all determine that we could work from home, right? Doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever. And and for all I know, two or three years from now, the world will be just like it was pre. COVID, um, but we, you know, we certainly saw a a big drop in real estate prices just because there's there's serious concerns about demand for that product going forward. I think I think um, you know from a maybe from a non you know a non professional you know listening to that you yeah. know they would say oh well real estate was booming you know as far as you know, in, <laughs> yeah in the in the yeah. residential you know markets right. Um, and so I think that that's a, that's a good distinction to make that these, you know, these real estate investment trusts are really focused on, um, rental properties and, 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 and commercial, uh, commercial properties and things like that. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not correlated to the, you know, to the residential markets that the people are, you know, probably looking at more frequently. Right. It is. Yeah. And I, and actually I literally had that question, that, that conversation yesterday with, with uh, a client of ours and, and we were saying, Oh, you know, we should have put all our money in, you know, in, uh, in, in Florida, you know, coastal real estate or, you know, Winnipesaukee homes, right. That, that, that part of the market's been booming and even residential real estate around us, um, you know, prices are going crazy, but that's certainly not the case with the, uh, with the more corporate side. Uh, all right. A few others. So, uh, from an international point of view, stocks also did pretty well. Um, the, the, uh, the all country world index from MSCI. So the MSCI all country world index, uh, that was up 16.3%. So not quite to the levels of the S and P 500, uh, but still a pretty good year. Uh, the developed markets index. Uh, so the developed markets are, you know, it's it's sort of mostly Western Europe, Japan, Canada, those types of countries, uh, up up nine point seven percent for the year. So you know, obviously positive, uh, not nearly as good as uh, as the United States. Europe specifically was just at 5.5%. Uh, so they are, you know, kind of lagging the, at least most of the rest of the world as far as investment returns go. Uh, and then the emerging markets, sort of the Chinas, the Indias, the Brazils of the world uh, are at 15.2%. Um, you, know, you know, a few thoughts on that. You know, we've been talking on this program and with our clients over 
you know, over time here, the United States has really led the world for a long time as far as stock market returns go. And, uh, you know, we, we, that, that stayed the case in 2000, although it wasn't quite as, you know, maybe, maybe not quite as stark as it has been in past years. Um, so, uh, you know, we still think people should stay diversified and own uh, own stocks all over the world. Uh, and this year, it again hurts you just a bit to have some some overseas diversification, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, right? Um, yeah, I was I was trying to find. I have a I have a chart here that I pull out from time to time. It's not a it's not a super detailed chart because uh, you know that's that to me that's been a question that comes up a lot yeah. uh sure we show and i don't know if you plan on talking about that or not but um you know when we show people re, you know returns and then we show them that you know the various benchmarks like we're talking about now yeah and how the u.s has really been you know the best performer over the bat over the past 10 years you know plus or minus yeah um and, you know when people and that's a you know that's a long you know long period of time and people look at that and they say okay U.S. has been doing great, and then they look at internationals, and not so great. I mean, not not terrible, but you know, yeah. certainly, certainly not 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 to the level of what the U.S. has been doing. And you know, so we get that question about you know, well, why are we even bothering? You know, right with the internationals right. um, if they, you know, if over the past ten years they haven't haven't been doing what the U.S. has been doing, and you know that, and just goes back to the the whole argument for diversification. I mean. That's yes, you know, but that's only one period of time. Um, right. And, you know, if you go back further, like if you go back, you know, 20 years, internationals yeah. have outperformed the U.S. Um, not 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 substantially, but but by a degree. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And of course, it depends on the market. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, the developed international world, I think, has been slower. But if you go back far enough, it, you get to emerging. where the, where emerging markets has you know has actually done better than the United States. Um, that's again, that's a we again we we do of course have that discussion all the time, um, particularly because we do believe in overseas investing, right? I mean, we we have money overseas, uh, we always have, and and you know certainly always will, right? You know, th- there there's certainly an argument to be made about the degree to which you should be invested overseas, right? You know, we, we're not, uh, we don't think that oh, you should at least have forty percent of your of your equity money overseas, uh, and that's you know that's sort of the final and the, and and you know, don't even talk to us if you're, if you have a different opinion. Um, I think there certainly is value to being diversified. Um, although you do have to lengthen your time horizon. I think that's one of the, one of the lessons that even we have learned recently is, you know, you have to look at investing over very long-term over very long periods. And, and, and that doesn't mean five years, right? Five years is, is, uh, it's a long time, but it's not necessarily a long time in the investing world. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll still, we'll continue to have that conversation. There will certainly be a time when, when overseas, uh, equities outperform the United States, uh, and, um, and, and then we'll sort of, uh, finally be justified in all those conversations that we've had over the years. But, uh, yeah, yeah. so I I have a, you know, I have a, a chart that I found, you know, pulled from Fidelity a while back and yeah. It, you know, it shows, you know, internationals and they're grouping everything into international. So it's internationals and emerging markets, you know, together as one yep. body yep. Uh, versus versus U.S., uh, you know, stocks. And it shows, you know, periods of outperformance, you know, so it'll show on the graph, you know, for this period of time, internationals were outperforming and then, yep. for, and, and then they kind of flip flop and then the U.S. outperforms for a while. And if you go back, so prior to... Prior to 2009, let's call it prior to 2009, I would say that they they kind of flip flopped on average maybe every four to five years, yep. um, where they would kind of switch places. Uh, yeah. And, and but but you know since 2009, it's been all U.S. Um, yeah. You know, and so if you look if you look backwards at that, you know, and just from a trend point of view, I mean, you could. You know, it would be easy to make the argument, I think, just based on this limited, you know, piece of data that, you know, the internationals, you know, should be, you know, um, due uh, to kind of kind of pick up the pace, uh, you know, sometime soon. But, you know, we've been we've been thinking that for a couple of years now and, and, and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, I think in, in, you know, every you can look at every time period and in, in every outlier, I think, has has a driver. I think, you know, part of the 
part of the driver of this particular long uh, outperformance on the U.S. side is, is I, I think it's technology and the fact that we live in an increasingly globalized world, right? The United States just so happens to have uh, just about all of the big global tech firms that, that are dominating industries, both here and, and really across the world, right? I mean, you know, Google is, is a U.S. company and is listed on our exchange, as is Amazon, as is Facebook. It just sort of so happened that we have those globally dominant firms that, you know, and, and you know, throw in Apple and Microsoft there as well. Uh, if a few of those companies happen to be located in Europe, you know, we, we may be telling a different story or, or China or India. Uh, and so I'm not sure, you know, if, if those companies continue to dominate, uh, you know, the index and, and the index returns, we could certainly see this keep going. Although if they, you know, if they have a, uh, a big correction because we deal with, um, you know, sort of deglobalization and, and, and companies and countries trying to, uh, you know, diminish their influence, we could see, we could see the opposite really in a hurry. So it's, you know, every, every time period is different and, and history is, it's a useful guide, but it, it doesn't mean just because something happened in the past, it means that it will certainly happen uh, in the future. And you know what, we are right up against uh, 1030. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, and we are talking today about 2020 and uh, so sort of what happened in 2020. And uh, we're going to go over some numbers and talk about uh, where, sort of where we are, and then we'll transition into talking about where we might be going. We shall see. Obviously, we you know we don't have a crystal ball here, but we'll we'll talk a bit about what the future potentially looks like from an investment point of view, uh, and then we'll talk about some uh, sort of some year-end maintenance items that you may want to that you may want to think about as an investor. So uh, we'll we'll jump right back into it. I'm sorry. No, you know what? If you have a, if you have a, a question, we're live in the Merrimack Valley today. Tell Telephone number is 978-454-4980. That's uh, 978-454-4980. We are live via Zoom today, but I'm pretty sure we can get a uh, get a caller on the line if you're listening on WCAP today. So, all right, Kirk, I'm, I'm just going to jump back into these numbers. Uh, we, we, as usual, I'm always worried that we won't have enough uh, enough material for a show. But oh, okay, we- well then, and, uh, I'm not, to that to that point, I got I have a question for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, you know, right before the break, we were, you were talking about how, you know, how the U.S., you know, has has done so well, you know, recently or over yep. the past you know, 10 years versus, you know, the rest of the world from because you, you feel like technology plays a big, a big role in that, which I don't, you know, certainly don't disagree with. Yep. Um, and how we have, you know, several, several really big companies, you know, based yep. in the US that are in that in that sector. But I mean, because when I think about it, I mean, I think about, you know, certainly uh, Japan, you know, is known for, you know, technology and, and things like that. And or at least at least they have, you know, historically they have been. Sure. I mean, is it are there companies, you know, sm- you know, smaller or not as valuable? Because is it is that you think that's a marketing thing or I mean, why, why are these U.S. companies so much bigger than, you know, some of the companies like in Japan? I, you know, I, I think. I think, I mean, part of it is just globalization where it's so easy now to uh, to sell things all across the world uh, and the world is so globalized. And, you know, I, I think there, there are just fewer maybe local trends, right? I mean, I, I think it, here in the United States are, you know, we, we've, we've been kind of market leaders as far as consumer goods, right? I mean, people have uh, kind of always wanted to buy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as, I'm not all that old. So, right. But I mean, didn't people, wouldn't tourists come in and buy, you know, Levi's jeans and stuff like that. So we've always been a bit of a market leader, but I think it's just easier and easier now to sell into other, into other countries, especially now that, that the product is software, right? I mean, or at least in a, in a lot of cases, it's software, right? With Apple, obviously, there's hardware. But if you're talking about Microsoft, if you're talking about Facebook, if you're talking about Google, there's really no barrier, right? It's not like you have to ship this. It's not like it's not like Toyota selling a car, right? If 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 it was made in Japan and and shipping it over here, right? There's not that cost to it necessarily because Google is just a software and you can install it here, you can install it there, right? So I think that's certainly that's certainly part of it. Um, although, you know, granted, I, we're, I'm not a, uh, I'm not kind of a macroeconomic expert, so that's just my. Yeah, no, yeah, I didn't thought, mean, yeah. I didn't mean to kind of put you on the spot. I was just kind no, of. No, it's okay. 
just kind of thinking out loud there. And, you know, that was my, you know, the thought that occurred to me was, you know, there certainly is, are some tech, some other tech oriented countries in the world besides the U S. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think the U S is just, yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, one of the, you know, the biggest country in the world, you know, one, or, you know, second biggest country or I don't know yeah. you know, we follow China versus, um, you know, production and, yeah. uh, and hey, I mean, population. Yeah. It's the, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good for us, I think, you know, certainly as an economy, but um, I, I think it can, it could probably also end relatively quickly, right? I mean, I, you know, certainly in, in, you know, China's a good example where they can just turn things off and say, hey, you know, they, there's, they can say just, oh, there's, I don't even know if they have Google over there now. I'm not, I'm not all that up on China, but, you know, they can just say, oh, it's not going to happen anymore. The, the EU could, in theory, do that as well if they wanted to. Um, and so it, it could probably also end relatively quickly. Um, but, you know, we shall, we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, quit, let's, you know, let's finish up the, you know, the sort of the 2020 returns. Let's move over to the bond side. Um, you know, the, the, the bond market here, I'm, as measured by the Vanguard total bond market index had a terrific year, at least relative to, uh, to bonds. Uh, it's, it was up 7.6%, which is a great return. Um, intermediate uh, Vanguard intermediate tax exempt. So, you know, proxy for the municipal bond market was up 5%. Uh, iShares tips bond, so treasury inflation protected securities, uh, up over 10%, 10.8. And then you had high yield up 6.2 and uh, leverage loans up 3.1%. So again, pr pretty good year also for, uh, for fixed income. Um, you know, the, the future outlook, which, which will probably get into a bit more uh in a few minutes here is is not as great right obviously the drivers of bond returns which we've 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 uh, we've been over a million times um it's if interest rates drop that pushes the price of existing bonds up and so what we saw in 2020 was interest rates go down to you know sort of new historic lows uh a 7.6 percent return on your on your bond market index fund is terrific but now we sit in a place where the current yield on the bond market index, I looked it up, it was, this is as of sometime last week, was 1.05%, right? So the, you know, the bond market index, if you go buy a bond market index fund, you're going to get a yield of 1% per year, which is not great, right? I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you think about uh, inflation and what it you know and what it is now and what it's likely to be, a one percent yield on your bonds less than inflation is probably a negative number, which is why we'll you know it, we'll we'll talk maybe about some potential changes and and uh, things you might want to consider going forward. But um, again, great year for bonds in 2020. The future outlook I think is 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 relatively negative and probably not going to be all that great over the foreseeable future. Uh, all right. Comments on that one? Well, uh, well I, had, I had a question for you. Um, <laughs> on the, can, can you explain why the why the why the tips uh, were up so much? Yeah. Well, so so every everything is priced based on uh, sort of the future outlook for various investments, right? So you know, tips uh, have done particularly well because inflation, you know, the expectations of inflation in the market are increased and there's there's a you know there's a bunch of there's a there are a lot of factors that go into the pricing of any security right and so when they you know look at treasury inflation protected securities it's you know what, what are they anticipating inflation to be going forward and you know part of it is is that you know that the the central banks have been trying to stoke inflation right they, they we want inflation to be a number that is positive um, you know, the Federal Reserve has sort of historically, you know, taken a, a you know, a 2% inflation target, at least that's the fairly recent target of the of the Federal Reserve. And so they try to keep inflation at a certain number. And it's primarily because both high inflation and then negative inflation or deflation are, are particularly bad. Right. And so we're, you know, we're, you know, they, they try to maintain that 2%. We're at a point now where we've borrowed a lot of money as a country, which is potentially no infl inflationary. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, that's potentially inflationary. And, and also the Federal Reserve sort of is recently on the record as saying, hey, you know, we're going to try we're going to try to target inflation 
and we're going to try to keep it near that 2%, but we're going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more lenient on that 2% figure because we need to work, you know, on, on full employment as well. Right. I and mean, you know, they, they, the fed try, you know, they sort of have that dual mandate, right. They're going to try to target inflation at a, at a healthy number. And they're also going to try to, you know, sort of get to and maintain full employment, obviously, um, you know, we, we do not have full employment right now. And the Fed has said that they'll, you know, that they will be a little bit more lax on their inflationary guidelines than the, you know, in order to bump up uh, the employment side of things. So um, there's just been some potentially inflationary stuff going on, which is why you've seen uh, inflation protected bonds jump up again. Who knows, who knows what happens in the future and expectations obviously change, but I think that's, that's my explanation for where we're on that, where we are on that Mm -hmm. one. Uh, all right, I'm, you know, just let's jump into this quickly. You know, we, we talked a bit about, uh, you know, sort of where we were early in the year versus later in the year. I have a, I have a quick chart here that shows performance in the first, uh, in the first quarter versus the performance in the, in the second, in the last three quarters uh, of 2020. And, you know, I know that you can see it, obviously our listeners can't, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you know, U.S. corporate bonds were down, it looks like about 10% in the first quarter of 2020, and they were up uh, over 20% since then. Uh, high yield bonds were down over 20% in that first quarter, and now they're up, you know, they're up about 30% in the time since that. Uh, you know, I won't go, commodities down 20 to up 20 as well. Uh, larger cap U.S. stocks were down, I guess, again, we talked about this 34% in that first quarter. And then they were up since then, uh, just about 70% since the bottom in uh, earlier this year. Look at, um, emerging, look at those small caps. I know. <laughs> yeah, that they, they ended with the big one, right? Yeah. Uh, emerging markets, similar number, down about 35. And then up, uh, looks like about 75. And, uh, you know, smaller cap U.S. stocks. So small cap stocks earlier this year were down about 40%. And since that time, they are up, it looks like just south of 100%. So off of the bottom, uh, your small cap U.S. stock position has really been rolling. And, you know, th- this is something that we we talk about all the time. You know, it's it's we had a we had a good long run there where we didn't have a lot of volatility to talk about. As far as uh, you know, we had you know the you know, we obviously came out of two thousand and nine, and it had been a relatively easy time in the market since then, right? We had a bunch of good years. We had a couple of slower years, but nothing significant with regards to a bear market. Uh, this was a good indication of of the fact that you know, hey, remember, folks, there still is volatility in the stock market, and uh, and in general, at least historically speaking, the you know the the market has always recovered. It's not always this fast or this significant, but uh, if you hang in there, and if you you know if if you do the right thing and you don't liquidate at the wrong time, generally speaking, you get paid for that as far as uh, when the recovery comes. I um I know we have a you know another chart that we use when we're kind of working with new you know potential clients you know new potential investors that yep. it, it basically it's you know this chart but you know looking backwards you know through you know the past you know twenty or twenty five years and right. because you know you know what happened last year you know what you just kind of went through you know there was a, a steep decline at at one point in the year but if you wait until the end of the year it actually ended up being, you know, posting positive results uh, in most, you know, in most asset classes. And, yep. you know, when you, if you look back through time, that's, that's pretty much always been the case. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so, you know, certainly some years are, are, are worse than others. You know, last year, you know, the downside was, was, was very significant. Um, but then it ended up posting a positive return for the year. If you just, if you just waited yep. and, and we've seen that, you know, lots and lots of times. Um, certainly, doesn't happen every year. There are there are years when you know when when you know when the you know when the stock market or the S and P five hundred has been negative for the year, um, but it's much more rare uh, that, that that happens. Um, you know, I think it's you know what is it? I mean, two two thirds. You know, sixty. You know, sixty to seventy percent of the time. Uh, you know, the the market posts a positive return. Right. Uh, and but but. Probably closer to ninety percent of the time, the market is negative at some point during the year, um, and then you know, two thirds of the time ends up pulling through and, and posting a positive number. So it's pretty, 
it, it happens a lot, a lot more than you might think. Yeah. Uh, if you pay attention. Yeah, in tw- yeah, 2020 was just a great sort of extreme example of it, right? Yes, yeah, so, some version of this happens in almost every year where the market is, you know, generally positive because most years it's positive, and then, uh, you know, but you always have sort of intra-year volatility, and this is like, hey, uh, this, you know, you, you couldn't get a better uh, example case than than 2020, right? You know, the market's way down and it ends, you know, what we would call usually way up. So, uh, yep, good lesson for investors out there. All right, let's get. I think yeah we're 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 slowly moving through this outline here so I'm going to I'm going to jump into the next section here uh just to look forward kind of where we are uh you know we we have clearly we have some issues right you know the 2020 perfor- investment performance was I think surprising to a lot of folks uh and that's just you know, sort of talking to clients over the course of the over the course of the year, uh, as we've continued to kind of hit new highs in the market, uh, we we occasionally get the question, well, hey, I don't I don't exactly know why the market's up so high, but um, but I'll take it when I can get it. Um, so you know, a couple of the potential issues. Obviously, we still have a global pandemic. I you know I have uh, some quick charts on. Uh, if you take a look at the uh, at sort of the COVID-19 stuff, right? You know, I, you know, I have uh, numbers on tests and daily cases and currently hospitalized and daily deaths, right? They're, they're all at very much at highs right now, right? I mean, our, our, our daily cases on, as of January 5th were 214,000. Um, as of January 5th, there were, there were over 131,000 people in the hospital. And uh, as of January 5th, uh, on January 5th, the daily deaths were about 3,500 people, right? 3,478. So, you know, cl- clearly we are, you know, we're very much in the middle of uh, of the COVID pandemic. Obviously there's there's uh, some relief on the horizon, we hope with, with the vaccine now being rolled out. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't discount the, uh, the impact of the pandemic on the, as, you know, as a potential driver of at least market volatility going forward. Uh, I won't spend a lot of time on that because it's sort of depressing. Um, so I'll just jump in. <laughs> I'll jump into our next one. It's it's sort of on the same, you know, along the same lines. Um, you know, we are down. It looks like. You know, let me. I'm going to just use rough numbers here. Um, as of February 2020, uh, the U.S. the United States had about 152 million jobs. Uh, as of the end of November, uh, that number was 142 million. So you know, we're, we're still down probably nine or 10 million jobs from the peak back in February. Uh, and you know, that's that's not a small number, right? And and clearly that's going to have an impact on the economy, uh, barring any uh, any sort of fiscal policy, which we can which we can talk about as well. Um, on the on the fiscal front, I you know that we, we obviously had a, a stimulus package passed recently. I think the you know the the Democrats taking Georgia uh, kind of gave the, the market a short-term bump. And the idea was that, uh, now that the Democrats are, are in charge of all three, uh, branches of Congress, we'll have, we're, we're more likely to have to see more stimulus going forward early in the Biden administration. You have any, you have any thoughts on that? I don't know if you're, I don't know if you follow politics all that closely, but, um, that's, I think. Yeah. I mean, not, not a great deal. Um, I know, you know, every, you know, every four years, you know, we always get, you know, lots of questions about, oh, what's the election going to do to to the market. Uh, And so, so every four years, you know, we go and pull up our charts uh, and and we, and we do our research on historically what's happened. And, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. So what you just said, you know, you know, makes sense. Um, But, but when you look back through history, is as related to the actual effect on the stock market. Yeah. There's really no rationale. There's no rhyme or reason why any like, you know, divided Congress, United Congress, any of that stuff, you know, ultimately it doesn't really drive the bottom line a whole lot. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's nice to talk about it, but um, yeah. you know, is it actually going to do much to the stock market per se? I, you know, based on history, probably it's just going to be business as usual. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I think that's right. Yeah. We, we, you know, maybe my, maybe my outline is a little too detailed here, right. You know, we, we are sort of firmly in the camp that you really don't want to do anything based on short term, uh, based on short term uh, market 
performance or, or at least your guess at what's going to happen over the short term and how, you know, and, and how whatever this piece of legislation and that piece of legislation will impact uh, the markets. Right. So I'm, I'm, I don't put, I'm not putting this out there as, as if to say, well, Hey, everything's going to be great. You know, buy stocks because the Democrats are in charge. You know, they want $2,000 checks for everybody. And so, uh, and so the stock market is going to go up, right? That's, that's by no means the, you know, the, the point of me um, having this discussion. I, I just think it's probably something that we should at least mention based, you know, to, to try to explain volatility, right? I mean, we, we do like to try to prepare people for the ups and downs of the market and, you know, whether or not they, they should know what's potentially driving those ups and downs. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do like to have people, have people be as informed as they can, even if that information doesn't really do anything from a portfolio point of view. Right. I mean, I, I think so far, nothing that you or I have said would, uh, you know, nowhere has there been a, uh, an implied, uh, investment change that you should make based on that, right? We're, we're very much, you know, long-term in our investment thinking. We don't, uh, we don't make changes based on anything that's, that's remotely short-term, right? All of our portfolios that are, that are managed, uh, sort of proactively will, will you know, are, are using a five-year investment outlook. Uh, and so what Congress does in the first hundred days of the, of the Biden administration is probably not going to affect that all that much. Uh, and so maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting a little too granular here, but Hey, well, I mean, I think a terrific, uh, terrific uh, case in point is what happened, you know, last year, like we were talking about. I yep. mean, um, you know, when all this stuff started happening with the with the virus and the spreading of it. Yeah. Yeah. And people were getting nervous about the markets and, you know, what should we do? And, you know, the, the, the market is not always rational uh, short term. Right. And, I mean, we still can't really explain why the market recovered as quickly as it did. Um, yep. I mean, it. I mean, the reason it went down is because people were getting nervous and people were selling out and that was making, you know, stock prices fall because they were nervous about the economy and the world and everything else. And that that yeah. kind of makes sense. Um, you know, why they were, you know, should they have done it? No, but they were they did. And and, and that kind of makes sense why they did it and why and why that happened. But why did it recover so quickly? You know, why? You know, why did people start pumping money back into the market? I mean, things weren't looking all that much better. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, to change, you have to change your strategy or your investments based on one thing or one thought is never, never a good idea. Right. Right. I mean, if you, if you told people that, right, you know, back, back in, uh, so back in April, right, we had, you know, let me just use a, I'll use a number uh, from April, right? So uh, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, on April 1st, there were, you know, just over 20,000 20, people in the hospital uh, from COVID, right? If, if we told you, Oh, hey! Uh, next January, uh, we'll have 131,000 people a day in the hospital for COVID, and we'll be losing 3,500 people a day. Um, you, you probably would have guessed that the market would be lower and not higher, right? You, you know, yeah. You, yeah. You, yeah. You said, yeah. Oh, and by the way, uh, the market will be at all-time highs, yeah. and it'll, it will have been a great year. My guess, yeah, my guess is the Dow will probably be like 31,000 around. Right. That's, yeah. That's exactly. So, so yeah. So again, none of this is again just another way. Just pointing out, none of this is is for uh, necessarily for short term uh, market timing purposes. Just trying to you know give people an idea of where we are and, and prepare them for what's going forward. But I, I know I do I, I will spend a little bit of time. Um, you know, you mentioned you know kind of Democrat you know Congress congressional control. Uh, there's certainly you can there's a lot of research out there that looks at you know what the stock market does in various administrations right democrat versus republican presidents uh you know republican congress versus democratic congress versus a split congress and and you know what we've never told people to pay much attention to that you know for the record just because i you know this these articles come out every time you know congress switches control um the uh there's there's sort of three numbers i have i have returns going back to 1960 and a democratic congress uh is actually the lowest and is is the lowest return of the three options right there's republican democratic and split um it's you know it's the lowest average return but the average return is still 10.7 percent right you know on this outline that i have here again that's since 1960 uh and you know and an average gdp growth during those times is 3.3 percent right you know granted it is better 
for Republican Congress, it's just it's 13.4. And then and then a split is the highest number at 17, you know, a whopping 17 percent annualized return during times when we have a split Congress. But again, it's not it's not as if, uh, you know, Democrat, the, you know, the Democrat Congress bar is is negative, uh, is negative 20, whereas, you know, the split Congress is is positive 17. Right? All the all of the numbers are are still, you would say, relatively good if, if we told you, hey, we're going to have a Democratic Congress and the stock market's going to earn 10.7 percent per year. You, you probably wouldn't worry too, too much about that. And, and it's it's by no means a. Uh, you know, a death sentence for the market. So, yeah. and not to get, not to get it, not to, you know, get uh, political or anything, but I mean, based on, you know, what we've seen in the news race recently, what's going on. I mean, there's no, there's no way to predict what's going to be, you know, the world is never, you know, never the same. There's always going to be something different and something's going to change. And so yep. to say it's, to say it's going to be exactly what, you know, what we've seen in past times is, you know, there's no way that it's going to be exactly the same. Right. And, and you know, I, I would point out, you know, just, just from, uh, you know, be, because we had people certainly, I think people have a preference for a divided Congress. Um, I, I don't think that a 50-50 split in, in the Senate is, uh, it's, it's not like it's 60-40, right? You know, it's, it's still going to be hard. It's, 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 it's hardly the case that the Biden administration now has carte blanche to do whatever they want and get any legislation through, right? You know, you know, the, you know, the, the Senate has the filibuster and, you know, any, any 40 senators can, can stop most legislation. Uh, obviously there are exceptions to that, but, but it's, it's not like, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are just going to start passing bills like crazy and, and Biden is going to, uh, is going to start signing them, right? You have 50, 50 is, is, is very tight and uh, people have to worry about their own reelection. So um, I am, I would caution people to, to say that, you know, a 50, 50, uh, for the Democrats with, uh, you know, with, with the vice president breaking the tie, maybe isn't that much different than a, you know, than a 48, 49, um, you know, if, if, uh, if the Republicans had taken one of those Georgia seats or both. So I'm not too, I, I don't think it's going to get too crazy. And, and uh, I, don't, I hardly think we're going to see a ton of legislation that's going to be slowing the economy down uh, particularly, but Hey, that's just my opinion. And we're not political commentators. So, <laughs> but I listened to, I listened to way too much of it. Uh, all right. So I have some notes on, yeah, just maybe, maybe fairly quickly on monetary policy. Um, so the Fed, as you know, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, you know, they, they do their best to control interest rates and uh, they are, they are, have been stimulative, right? One of the reasons that, that mortgage rates are so low and that interest rates on your, uh, on your savings and, and checking accounts is so low and, you know, interest rates in the bond market are so low as we discussed is because the Federal Reserve Bank is doing their best to keep the, to keep it that way, right? That's, you know, lower interest rates stimulate the economy and you know the fed is working pretty hard and doing just about everything they can to stimulate the economy uh i think that's that's certainly a positive sign given the fact that we're you know we, we still have some some certainly some headwinds with regards to covid and so uh i think they're probably going to keep that up for a while they're also they're also buying you know they're 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 quantitative being quantitative easing is still uh is still ongoing they're buying 120 billion dollars per month in bonds in an attempt to to keep those <laughs> i used to you shaking your head over there they, they uh um in order to keep interest rates low yeah just i mean just the the magnitude of these dollars are just right <laughs> yeah crazy. And, they, and they just made it up too they just say hey there's a new 120 billion dollars there uh but anyway so I, I think you know the fed is gonna is gonna remain stimulative for a while uh you know they they're always sort of they don't like surprises. The market doesn't like surprises. So, you know, the Fed is, does a great job of saying, hey, here's our rough plan. And this is what this is how we think it's going to play out over the next number of years. And so I think they're likely to uh, to keep that up. And, and that's probably going to be a positive thing here. But we are up against a break. And so we will be right back. 